0: Hit and run at 123 at Casa de Fruit off 152 on the off-ramp by the uh, Chevy Chevron station there. It's 2.06. Time for Planet Watch with your hosts, Rachel Goodman and Joe Jordan.
1: Watch Big Solutions to Earth-Size Problems. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman. Joe Jordan will be joining us by phone in just a moment. Today on the program, some cosmic relief. We'll be talking about black holes. Will they eat us alive? Gravitational waves, the Nobel Prize for Science, Mars exploration, and going back to the moon, and even perhaps, how the universe began. We'll speak with astrophysicist Martin Gaskell, and we'll be taking your calls and questions. So keep in mind the phone number, 479-1080. That's in the 831 area code. And you can also ask our guests a question by simply emailing us, radioplanetwatch at gmail.com. We are also streaming live on Facebook if you want to see us just to know what an astrophysicist actually looks like. Yes, they have glasses and beards and stuff, and sometimes they don't have any beards because they're women. But this particular one happens to have a beard. So maybe he fits your idea of what an astrophysicist should look like. The only way you'll know is if you tune in on Facebook. Of course, if you miss a show, all of our shows, and I believe we are getting up into the forty number are archived on zbsradio.com if you'd like to listen to any of our programs online first we'll have this news roundup uh, with myself and intern tommy martin and then we'll go on to the interview with martin gaskell so this one is possibly related a new study of geothermal deposits on mars may shed light on the origins of life on early earth Deposits found in Mars's Erdenia Basin, which lies in a region with some of the red planet's most ancient exposed crust, show that there was a long-lived sea with an active hydrothermal vent on the seafloor. The deep-sea hydrothermal environment is evocative of similar environments on Earth and similar to environments where life might be found on other worlds, life that doesn't need a nice atmosphere or temperate surface. That's because the earliest evidence of life on Earth comes from seafloor deposits of similar origin and age. But the geologic record of those on early Earth environments is poorly preserved, unlike that on Mars, so it may shed light on how this life of ours got started. Interesting stuff, huh? And Tommy Martin, what did you dig up, um, not from Mars, but maybe from our Earth, to share with us today? Yeah, back
2: on our planet. Uh, With the majority of Puerto Rican residents still without power due to Hurricane Maria, Elon Musk is making bold claims that he can rebuild the island's electrical infrastructure with solar technology. Sorry, that's entrepreneur Elon Musk.
1: In case you didn't know who he was. (laughs) Some people don't. Yeah. Uh,
2: While Musk is best known for his companies Tesla and SpaceX... SolarCity, a solar panel firm which specializes in storing energy in large power banks, is also a subsidiary of Tesla. The company says it has powered small islands in the American Samoa and on one island installed a solar grid which can store enough electricity for three days without sun. Musk claims that there is no scalability limit to his island power grid, and the Puerto Rican governor, Ricardo Rossello, expressed interest in being a flagship project for the company. Discussion of cost and long-term benefits are likely to influence the ultimate decision of de- the debt-saddled island. Tesla has already sent shipments of batteries to Puerto Rico to store energy from the existing solar panels. Residents with these systems are some of the few with power. Another company, Alphabet Incorporated, Google's parent company, is also stepping up with new technology, which will provide Puerto Ricans with cell service through balloons equipped with solar panels floating 12 miles above the Earth's surface.
1: Wow. In a way, we haven't had a whole area, a giant population of, you know, over 3 million people that had its entire grid. You know, thankfully, we haven't seen this before. Hopefully, we don't see it again for a while, but the opportunity to start over, possibly with a completely different solar infrastructure is uh, is a great opportunity in some ways to um, reinvent uh, a whole island If we could do it with solar, it would be a great thing because then they won't be dependent on ships to bring most of their energy, as most islands are. So there you go. They don't have any oil, so why not make it um, wind or solar?
2: Yeah, you can tell Musk sees it as an opportunity.
1: Hopefully not opportunistically. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Indeed. Considering
2: he's already sending batteries over, it seems like he's pretty...
1: Is he donating them?
2: Yeah, yeah. So far he's been donating to the relief.
1: That's good. That's good to hear. You know, this is an editorial, but watching how desperate they are, and um, the stories that are coming out of Puerto Rico are truly apocalyptic. People are standing in line for diesel, and this is connected to fossil fuel story, for, you know, six, eight hours. They get up at the crack of dawn to get in line for, you know, ten hours sometimes, just to get ten gallons. They take it back, and they run their generator for just a couple hours Uh, to charge batteries and also possibly to refrigerate a few things. Um, But, you know, when you think about even pumping gas is related to electricity, (laughs) getting cash out of an ATM, there's just things we take for granted that they're having to cope with, including free, uh, uh, clean drinking water. So the editorial part of this statement is if we have the most opulent um, military on Earth... Why can't we send them all, all of their resources, to the people which are American citizens in horrible, dire need? Why can't we have a massive response and possibly even evacuate the majority of people till it gets better there? They probably want to get away right yeah. now for at least a few months till the infrastructure returns. And uh, I don't know the answer about why we're not doing that. Seems like they want to go. They would like to help. That's a lot of them signed up to help their fellow humans. So. Mm-hmm. Here's a good opportunity to really make a difference. And I, I hope that happens. And as citizens who pay taxes to, you know, support that, maybe not willingly, um, I would vote for the military to do things like that yeah. <laughs> to save people's lives. That would be good. Well, we're going to move on to a rather different topic now <laughs> and invite you to participate. We, we don't normally take calls, but we thought we'd try it today because you probably have a lot of questions after we begin our interview. Today, our interviewee is Martin Gaskell. Is it Gaskell or Gaskell? Gaskell. Gaskell. There you go. He's an astrophysicist at the University of California, Santa Cruz. He was born in England, and you'll figure out why in a minute. He sounds different than us Californians. He came to Santa Cruz to do his PhD, and uh, while he was a graduate student here, he met Joe Jordan, who will hopefully be joining us in a little while. Martin's research specialty is investigating what happens around supermassive black holes in the centers of galaxies. This research has taken him not to black holes, or he wouldn't be here right now, (laughs) but to other countries, and he collaborates with astronomers around the world. Uh, In addition to being an astrophysicist, Martin is an active musical composer in classical music and a Christian with an interest in the relationship between faith and science, which is a fascinating topic to me, and I hope we definitely preserve time uh, to talk about that one because there aren't too many astrophysicists slash Christians who talk about them in the same setting. So I'm looking forward to that. Welcome to the program.
3: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: Glad to have you. Well, I guess I'll ask a basic question to start out. But first, I want to give out the phone number in case other people have a basic question. And you might get to talk to Tommy as an added bonus. (laughs) Uh, The number is 831-479-1080. Again, 831-479-1080. What is a black hole and why haven't we been swallowed by it already? (laughs)
3: Well, a black hole is a region of space where gravity is so strong that not even light can escape from it. And the nearest one to us, well, we don't actually know how close the nearest one is, but the nearest one we know about is a good thousand or so light years away.
1: And is it sucking everything around it and at what speed?
3: No, one of the. R- myths about black holes is they suck everything up around them. They they don't do that. Um, A black hole, when you're not very close to it, is pretty much like any other source of gravity. An example I like to give is if our sun turned into a black hole, and don't worry, it won't happen, but if it did, then our Earth would just continue orbiting the same orbit around the sun. The only difference would be that it would go dark outside.
1: And that would be very, very very bad for us. Well, that would be bad for us, yes. (laughs) No solar power. No, at that point, forget solar energy. Mm. So so a black hole is a super gravitational spot in space, and Mm. how do you study them um, from so far away?
3: Well, the the obvious question people ask is if the strength of gravity is so strong that not even light can escape from them. Which, by the way, is why we call them black holes. We call them black because there's no light; it's dark; it's black, and something you get fall into and can't get out of. We call it a hole. So that's where the name black hole comes from. But the obvious question is: if not even light can escape, and therefore we can't see the black hole. Then how can we study them? And the uh, uh, the idea of black holes was first proposed actually over 200 years ago by a, a, an English clergyman called the Reverend John Mitchell, and he gave a paper, I think, in eight, 1783 to the Royal Society in, about this. And even back in that original paper, he said, well, even though light can't escape, we can still detect these things by their gravitational influence. So although no light gets out from black hole, it's still got gravity. As I said, if the sun were to become a black hole, which again, it won't do that, but if it did, it would still have gravity. And so we'd know it was there because of that. And that's really the the basis of all black hole research.
1: So things are, planetary bodies or whatever, other things or are orbiting them. around, and do you see them orbiting around black holes out there when you're studying?
3: Yes, there are two types of black holes that we know about. There are what we call stellar or stellar mass black holes. And these we think uh, were the endpoints of lives of stars. Now about half the stars in the sky, not our sun, but half the stars in the sky are in binary star systems. There are two stars there. and Only one star is going to collapse to form a black hole at a time. And when that happens, the other star might carry on still happily living its life there. And so when we look at the star there, we'll see one star apparently orbiting around nothing. And this is one of the ways we can study black holes. We know they're there. The other other type by the black holes are ones that are much more massive. There's about a million times more massive. And those are actually the ones that I study.
1: And how big is big <laughs> probably something we can't really comprehend
3: actually the mass of a black hole is is a very straightforward uh, concept and the more massive the black hole the bigger it is if we had a black hole of the mass of our sun i keep saying this will not happen but if we did it would have a radius of uh, three kilometers that's about a couple of miles so the whole thing would be a would fit easily into Santa Cruz, Wow. and uh, the the largest stellar mass black holes in our galaxy would fit between here and San Jose.
1: So they're not that, as big as, as no.
3: But our now sun. The, the very large ones that I study are much bigger than that. They're uh, uh, they're much bigger than the Earth is, but uh, but the small black holes is quite modest in size.
1: I think we have Joe Jordan on the line. Let's see if I've got the board um, hooked up properly. Are you there, Joe? See can you hear one. me? I'm somewhere. You you're somewhere. I'm, somewhere.
0: I, I, I'm actually I, I've got two bars of reception on this cell phone and I'm up two bar road out of Boulder Creek. How's that?
1: Pretty good. Can you get to a landline? We can hear you right no, now. No. Oh, you can't hear me? No, we can. C A N. But um. Oh yeah yeah. Well, I'm <laughs>
0: borrowing a friend's phone. And he's got the other one from the, the service that I have, and the other one's better. So anyway, mm-hmm. uh, it seems to work okay. So. Great. Uh, yeah, well, thanks for coming on, Martin, and I don't know what I've missed. It sounds like he was just getting warmed up. We were just
3: talking uh, about what black holes are.
1: And how big they are, and I was surprised to hear a black hole can fit between here and San Jose, even the biggest ones. Um, does that mean they're particularly dense in the middle? Or? Oh,
3: yes, yes. The small ones are very dense, yes.
1: And density is something, you know, we just can't really comprehend in the space world, so what does that mean, that they're super dense?
3: Uh, I think we can sort of understand uh, dense. The first dense objects discovered were what we call white dwarf stars. They were found back in the 19th century, and people realized the matter inside a white dwarf was very dense. And If you took a, a thimble full of matter in a white dwarf, then that would weigh about as much as, as a small Japanese pickup truck a couple of tons. Now, the the, the next dense object what are called neutron stars. And neutron stars, we're now talking about a, a million tons or so. So this is bigger than a, a large container ship uh, that it, it would... Um, Inside um, uh, thimble full and you sort of imagine may- maybe holding in your hand a thimble weighing two tons, but but weighing as much as a massive ocean liner—that's getting a bit hard to understand. And the density in a small black hole is just slightly higher than the density of a neutron star. Hmm.
1: And do black holes have anything to do with the Big Bang?
3: I think I'd say no to that. Um, maybe the, the Big Bang form the Big Bang forms some black holes, but. Uh, no, there's really no connection there between the Big Bang and black holes.
1: Were they made when the Big Bang, you know, expanded the universe? Were they here <laughs> from the beginning? Well,
3: um, there are two types of black holes. There are the ones that were formed when stars collapse and then there are what we call the supermassive ones. The supermassive ones, what I do my research on, they're in the centres of galaxies and they have masses ranging from a million times the mass of our Sun up to about ten billion times the mass of our Sun, or even more. And 10 billion times the mass of our Sun, that's the mass of an entire galaxy in a black hole. So they, uh, they get to be very massive. And all those ones, as far as we know, are in the centers of galaxies. And an unsolved mystery about these giant black holes is how did they form? And it's beginning to look like they formed as pretty massive black holes with maybe 100,000 to a million times the mass of our Sun and they grew from there onwards. They didn't start off as wimpy ones with, say, 10 times the mass of our Sun and and grow from that point onwards, but they started out pretty big. And they seem to have begun rather early in the universe, about the same time the first galaxies formed. So there could be some connection there to the Big Bang, but, but most theories are that they formed rather similar to the way in which galaxies formed after the initial Big Bang.
1: I'd like to remind you that there. if you have a question for Martin Gaskell, who is our guest, he's an astrophysicist, and there's something you always wanted to know about black holes or the Big Bang, now is your chance to, and, and you can tell from my questions there's no stupid questions, because um, I'm asking them. You know, there there uh, might you, be some
3: stupid answers. <laughs> well,
1: we wouldn't say that, but so you're welcome to participate at 831-479-1080. Martin Gaskell will be our guest uh, for the next 25 minutes or so. So join us on the air. Joe Jordan's here via telephone, and uh, we're here.
0: Yeah, I have a, I have a quick uh, comment and question. One is, uh, and we'll get to it later, but there has been a theory that there are little tiny micro black holes all over the place. And even at one time, it was thought that elementary particles were teensy-weensy mm. black holes. But forget about that for the moment. The main thing we should make clear to all of our listeners is that the one type of black hole Martin mentioned comes... He he mentioned that they are from collapses of stars. Well, in particular, they're really big-ass stars, way bigger than our sun, way more massive. The ones that form supernovas, which our sun will never do. And it's at the core. What happens is the thing collapses. It runs out of all, all hope. All nuclear fuel is exhausted, and then it just sheer gravity takes over. The interior core, down to the radius of just a few miles, collapses, implodes into this black hole, while the outer shells, most of the mass of the star, gets expelled violently out into the universe in one of the, in the most spectacular event in the universe, a, a supernova. But left over behind those supernovas in the interior is a black hole.
3: Right, and, so, uh, so, so some supernovae, uh, certainly the very massive ones, will form a black hole. The more usual explosions, ones we see... Uh, in the sky are of two types. One are uh, exploding white dwarf stars and the other type are what we call core collapse uh, supernovae, where the the core collapses down to, to to a neutron star. That's kind of intermediate stage between a white dwarf and a black hole. And the matter then bounces off the neutron star and forms a supernova explosion. The... the... Ends of lives of massive stars that form black holes. We don't normally see as a normal supernova explosion because if all the matter just goes into a black hole, then you're not getting this this bounce and seeing the bright light. But uh, what, what we do get are what are called gamma ray bursts. That the black hole has spinning material around it, and this creates a jet of material. If that jet happens to be aiming our face, then we see a tremendous burst of gamma ray burst I mean, of gamma rays coming towards us
1: in just a little while we're really excited about this being radio people we have some sounds that they actually got from black holes and from the big bang which first of all my first question was how could they have possibly recorded the big bang which happened a long time ago how long ago
3: well the the, the big bang was about 13.7 billion years ago it's a long time ago the uh, um, um, uh, sounds that I see the the technical people are, are working on here to to try to try to bring you. Um, uh, they were made by by uh, uh, a fellow English astronomer called Mark Whittle, uh, of the University of Virginia, and um, uh, he uh, uh, took uh, uh, radio waves from the early universe and has converted these in, in, into sound waves and um, uh, you might wonder, is, is this really fake? Well, so let me t- tell you what's been done here. The the pitch has been raised up enormously, many, many octaves, because the, the, uh, we, with our human ears, we, we'd hear nothing at all. We wouldn't, hear, we, we wouldn't even feel a rumble. But we'd hear nothing at all from, from the sound of the Big Bang. So that's one thing. It's just been raising the pitch, so you can hear it and appreciate well, what's going on.
1: We'll have to wait, though, because our engineer is busy taking a call. We do have a question, too, so we'll, okay. Well, well, segue well segue by, by,
0: by the way... By the way, just following up on that last. Not to mention that sound, you can't hear sound in the universe. In the uh, I can explain that. Yes.
1: There's no sound <laughs> waves because there's no uh, air. Oh, there are <laughs> definitely
3: sound waves in space. Very but, much so. But yes. But we
1: couldn't hear them with our ears. Well, the crazy. reason oh, we if we,
3: there's
0: material. If, yeah. if there's material to to shake around, yeah, then yeah. you can get sound. Yeah.
3: The, the reason we can't hear them is just they're, they're much too low in, in frequency. Mm. So, uh, as a, so it's trying to explain where, where this, this this sound recording uh, how it got made. Um, what we can uh, see and measure is the, uh, the structure of the universe, the fluctuations. Now, sound waves are uh, fluctuations in density in the air which we see. And we had fluctuations in density in the early universe on a, a very large scale. And um, uh, so these are being converted into sound waves. And um, as the universe rapidly expands away from the Big Bang, you'll see the change in pitch of the sound there. So, that, so that, that's how that, that was made.
1: Well, I, I look forward to um, when Jason gets back in the other studio, he can play that sound for us. But hey, I see well, that,
0: hey, well, we have a several call callers. Joe, jo, oh, we want to okay. get a go, caller. on
1: Yeah, so let's, since we go did ahead. offer take calls, um, <laughs> let's say hear from Bob. Uh, let's see if I can get him on the line. Bob, are you with us?
4: I'm right here. Hi. Hello. Uh, welcome, Bob. Uh, yeah, Yeah. I had a question. Why did the Big Bang happen? Ooh.
3: <laughs> why? Well... Uh, the, the, that's sort of a not how, and uh, no, not how, but why. Um, I, I, I think that's a question we have to ask God. <laughs> that one. Uh,
0: yeah, that gets off into religion, man. Uh,
3: yes, uh, I mean why. I, I uh, <laughs> not being God, I haven't got the answer to that question. <laughs> Sorry.
1: <laughs> Would you like to ask another question <laughs> that he could well, answer? Well, why, why does it require? God? If if we're
4: talking astronomy and physics, and mathematics, there must be a reason. If one is to um, take seriously like the big battery, there must be a reason why. Is it a pulsation? Uh,
3: I think you're really talking more about how here causality, the, 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 yeah. about yeah. rather than, yeah. than 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 why. I mean, yeah. uh, um,
1: well, let's try to tackle that one.
3: Yes, yes. Uh, so the question yeah. could be: what, why, to, why to have a sandwich for, for lunch um, th- then? Well, actually, you know, there is this,
0: there is this mm-hmm. whole theory of quantum fluctuations. Uh, and uh, there's even the theory that our universe's Big Bang was just the back end of some other universe's black hole collapse through a wormhole that connected the two. <laughs> and uh, Martin and I were talking the other day about how that used to be kind of in, in favor, but nowadays astronomers or cosmologists don't really necessarily think that, although it seems like kind of a cool idea but um, we're probably getting into realms of speculation well, uh, uh, Nobody me, uh, in present company is right.
3: qualified well to... let me come back to back to sort of bob's question now, interpreting it as uh, as sort of how the the, the universe be, uh, began um, Ultimately, we get to a point where we just don't know, but we do a pretty good job of going back, extrapolating backwards in time, working back to what things were, were like. So we understand things like what the density of the universe has been as a function of time, uh, what it was made of, and. Um, uh, it was it was very hot, it was very dense, in the early days a lot of nuclear reactions going on, there was a lot of particle physics going on, and some very interesting things happened back there that we know about. That the, There must ultimately come a point where we don't know, and we actually sort of know the point at which we don't know. And that, that uh, time is uh, called the Planck time, and uh, it's like 10 to the minus 43 of a second for a very long time back in the, this is not the like
0: walking. This is not like walking the Planck. This is a I know, uh, it's, it's, it's
3: Planck a spelled a to uh, P L A N C K, named after a, fam- a famous guy, German uh, physicist. A German guy. You're right, yeah. yes. Um, but um, the, the universe we, we observe. Um, we, we, we've got a pretty good idea what it looked like back in the past. People are doing computer simulations of that. We can observe um, the leftover radiation from the Big Bang and the structure uh, by using uh, radio waves.
0: Yeah, hey, Rachel, if we've got a list of callers, why don't we kind of move along? and?
1: Sounds these good.
3: Right. Yeah, let's bring things. in. So, 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 thank you, both for your call. And yeah, um,
1: thanks, Bob. let's bring in, uh, we've got Chris uh, from Salinas uh, with a question. We'll go to Chris next. Okay. Hi, Chris. Welcome hi, to Planet hi. Watch. Hello. Hi. Hello. Yes.
4: Yeah, I, I just had a question. When you're talking about the size of a black hole,
0: are, are you talking about uh, the the size of the event horizon?
3: Yes, or? we are. Yes.
0: Yeah, because cause I've heard actually a black hole is a singularity. I mean, it... it almost infinitely small, but the, the mass of the gravity varies.
3: Yes, yes, when we talk about the size of a black hole, we're talking about the radius of the event horizon, or what's called the Schwarzschild radius, after a German scientist about 100 right. years ago. And, and let me explain, explain to, to listeners what, what that is. It sounds like you obviously know, but, uh, but explain to listeners. The, um, 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 there's a concept called escape velocity, and that's how, how fast you have to go to escape from something. And the more massive something is, the higher the escape velocity is, but also the closer you get to it, the stronger its gravity is, so the higher the escape velocity is. And there comes a point where the escape velocity exceeds the speed of light. Now, that was what the um, Reverend John Mitchell, 200 years ago or so, um, recognised when he postulated that black holes must exist and that radius where inside which the, the escape velocity exceeds the speed of light so you can't escape but that radius is we call that the schwarzschild radius and that's the effective radius of a black hole there are some other significant radii outside that one important one is the what we call the the isco or the innermost stable circular orbit and that's actually a um, uh, at least 1.4 to 10 Schwarzschild radii f- further away. So th- things are being a bit dangerous when you get close to a black hole. You, you, um, I, I, if you're listening early in the program, I, I said if our sun turned into a black hole, which won't happen, then the Earth could keep happily orbiting. But if you get very close to the black hole, and, and remember, if our, if our sun became a black hole, it'd have a radius of three kilometers. If you got within about 10 kilometers of it, then uh, then special effects of Einstein's theory of general relativity to take, take place. And there are some other interesting radii at that point there. But anyhow, the the, 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 the <laughs> The, the simple answer to your question is that uh, um, when we say the radius of a black hole, we
1: mean the event horizon. Great. Thank you so much, Chris. Right. Thanks for your call. Uh, you're listening to Planet Watch. We're getting very cosmic here. What happens to your body if you got sucked into a black hole? What would happen to your you body? Know,
3: people ask me about that, and, and I say, <laughs> don't worry about it. You'll be dead. keeps
1: me up at night. You'll be dead. Before you uh, even got yeah. there.
0: Hey, you know, uh, one of Martin's esteemed colleagues, Joel Premack, who would actually be a good guest on our show sometime... Uh, I heard from him once that at a certain radius from a black hole, and maybe Martin can tell us exactly which radius, light is delicately balanced between making it out to space and getting pulled back into the black hole so it actually orbits around the black hole so if your body were not being torn to shreds by extreme (laughs) gravitational shear stresses, then you could actually see the back of your own yes, head. Yes, yes. The light would have gone around the black yes, hole. Yes, You <laughs>
1: could see the back of your own head. Now I think you're taking something uh, right. that's yeah. <laughs> illegal. Well, <stuff>
0: to- <laughs> but
3: I, I should explain that my own research is not what goes on inside a black hole, but, 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 but uh, uh, how they form and what's going on outside a black oh, hole. Okay, yeah,
1: so yeah. A disclaimer. Um, we yes. do want to go to that sound of the uh, Big Bang first and then the black hole. So let's hear Big Bang. That's the beginning of the universe.
3: That's it. I, actually, the, the, the recordings carry on a nothing. bit further than that, but the, 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 there it is, yes.
1: You want to hear more of it?
3: No, is there more of it? The is there more of it,
1: I Jason? don't think so. No, that was the, that, the
3: Yes. Yeah, I that, heard the, a
0: lot of nothing there. Yeah.
3: The, um... I, after... Um, that, that comes from the, the uh, structure in, in, in the universe after, after the Big Bang. And um, the, the, if, if the recording carried on a bit, bit further, you'd hear a kind of a, a hissing, tingling sound afterwards, which would correspond to the formation of galaxies in, in there as well.
1: Far yes.
3: out. So it, it, if, if you want to find that recording, um, go to good old Google and enter, uh, like, MP3 recording of the sound of the Big Bang or something like that, and you'll find <laughs> what we just played to you there.
1: Now let's listen
3: to the sound of a black hole. Before we play, let let, let me explain a bit about this. Um, So this is actually not the sound of one black hole, it's the sound of two black holes. And um, if you find the news, you heard in the last week, they've announced the winner of the 2017 Nobel Prize. And the Nobel Prize was shared uh, between three people. Half of the money went to a, a person called um, uh, Ray Weiss, a, a, a former professor at MIT, uh, who designed the key component for detecting something called gravitational waves. And then the other half of the Nobel Prize was shared to two people at Caltech who played very important roles. One was uh, somebody called Kip Thorne. Kip Thorne you might have heard of if you saw the movie Interstellar. He was the the science advisor to Interstellar. He's a famous name in in the theory of relativity and, and black holes. And he was a big person pushing for the detection of gravitational waves. And then the third third person was uh, Barry Barish, who um, did the the the, the Herculean task of getting this massive collaboration of a, a thousand scientists t- together and, and 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 millions of dollars to actually m- make the thing happen and uh, and and finally happen. So th- those were the three people who got the the Nobel Prize for this. Um, yeah, perhaps Rachel, we, we should explain what gravitational waves are, right?
1: We could do that, and then we'll hear the recording. Okay.
3: Okay. Yeah. So so. Um, 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 since this has only been just just detected, you might guess it was rather hard to do. And the, the the way they measured the gravitational waves was they had two masses which were separated by four kilometers, and when the gravitational wave came past, it's like. Uh, we're here in Santa Cruz, we look outside and see the ocean, see things bobbing up and down. As a wave comes past, things bobbing down at different times. And if you had a laser range measuring the separation between two boats uh, in in the bay, you could could see them go up and down as a wave came by. So that way, uh, even if you're blind, uh, you could tell that that waves exist. Um, the, the, The waves they detected here were that they measured the separation between these two masses to the accuracy it's like me- the, the change they saw was like measuring the distance to the nearest star and seeing a fluctuation the thickness of a human hair it's incredibly fine uh, so why was it so uh, so difficult um and that's because gravitational waves are extremely weak and I was thinking as I was waiting outside the station this afternoon, um, the, the two AM radio t- transmitter towers are right outside here. And the, the way a radio tower works is electrons are waved up and down the, the, the tower outside. Now. Um, the electrostatic force is quite strong. If you comb your, if you've got long hair and you comb your hair in winter on a dry day, you get static electricity. And just by a, a simple plastic comb, you can overcome the entire gravitational force of the Earth. And that shows you how much stronger the electric force is compared to the gravitational force. And, um, uh, you, so uh, Einstein recognised a long time ago, about 100 years ago, that you get gravity well, it's got a radio wave this radio station, you're hearing me right now because there's a tower outside which is has a, electrons running up and down the tower at high speed, by the way, don't touch it, it's quite dangerous yes. um, <laughs> and, and, and you get a very bad shock uh, it's going up and down at, at high speed and, and that makes radio waves it's like waving your hand up and down in water makes water waves so you're hearing me now because the, the uh, because, uh, KSCO is waving electrons around w- well, Einstein recognised if you wave gravity, uh, wave mass around, you get gravitational waves, but they're extremely weak. And so people like Kip Thorne, who won the Nobel Prize, uh, said, well, one way of getting this is we have two black holes. As those two black holes, that they're very massive, very high speed, very strong gravity, then you get gravitational waves. And the strongest gravitational waves are just before two black holes merge. So this is what we're going to play the, the recording of, two black holes merging. and." Um, um, as the black holes orbiting each other, and these two ones have masses about each one about 30 times the mass of our sun. As they orbit around, they're giving off um, uh, uh, gravitational waves. Now, this radio station here, yeah, I don't know it's power, but it's some, of, some number of, of kilowatts of power. Um, it's, it takes energy to send out radio waves. Same way it takes energy to produce gravitational waves. And these waves on taking energy from the system. So the orbit is shrinking. Now, as orbits shrink, they get faster and faster and faster until they finally merge. And the final collision took about uh, about two tenths of a second. And uh, during that, those two tenths of a second, it completed about eight orbits. And the frequency shot up. And this time, we are not faking the frequency. With a big bang, we raised the frequency in many octaves so you could hear it. We don't need to do that this time. This is the actual sound that you're going to hear. Um, if you were next to the black hole, you would hear this. I'm sorry you'd get deafened and killed by it, but... but
1: uh, <laughs> As your body was being crushed uh, you so,
3: so So well, what you'll hear in this recording is... First, you'll hear what sounds like ocean waves or a waterfall. It's just, like, just a sort of... What we call white noise sound. This is the background of the noise in the detector. That's nothing to do with, with astronomy and cosmology. And then suddenly you'll hear a, a, a little bit of whoop like that. Whoop.
1: Sounds like a baby's heartbeat yes. if you've ever had a sonogram.
3: Yes, it is. Like, and the, the frequencies are on the audible range, it's like from the bottom note on a piano to our middle C, that's the range of frequencies we're hearing there. So I, we, we, we're going to play that. We should play it a few times. So what you listen for is a little whoop at the end. Here we go. Okay. That's
1: it. Sounds like it's on two different slight yes, frequencies.
3: They, yes, yeah. they've, they've, well, what they've done is they've filtered it in two yeah. different ways. Um, so one sounds a bit, a bit more like a heartbeat. And, and Can we play uh, that again one yeah. more time,
1: Jason? Sorry. It went by rather fast. It's so repeating a lot. We're listening to the heartbeat of a black hole. Yes. Here we go. Two black holes. Two black holes colliding. It happens really fast. Right, right. And it doesn't sound particularly violent. It sounds very fast. (laughs)
3: Well, from From out uh, here. We're listening to this uh, about 1.2 billion light years away, so it's pretty gentle at the earth. Uh, (laughs) I would not want to be nearby that when it happens.
1: Well, we have another caller who's been very patient, and I thought we'd get him on. He's calling himself Daddy Bird. I think that's um, maybe a a name, a stage name. Let's see. Are you on the line with your questions still? Thank you for waiting, if indeed you are. Let's uh, get you on here. Hi, you are on the air on Planet Watch. I, I
4: attended San Jose State in 1971 to 73. No, 72 73. And I took natural science, which was set up to teach school teachers, not to teach mathematicians or physics and that kind of thing.
1: Okay, and, and you had a question about the Big Bang.
4: Uh, yes, I do.
1: Right. Okay, go for uh, it.
4: Okay, here's my question. Our textbook in the class... About this was called, um, red giants and white dwarfs. Yes,
3: I, I I I can still, still still recall that book. Yes.
4: Okay. But then my, my question is: since 1972 or so, has there been a lot of adi- uh, additional information about this, or oh or yes, pretty lots much
3: and like, lots. Yes, yes. Really. Yes, yes we're, we are living at an amazing time in astronomy. Right now is the, the most exciting time in the history of astronomy with discoveries being made. Um, the, the one example is these gravitational waves. So, the, back when you were a student then, like, um, the gravitational waves would, would just been speculated. And so it's only now, um, 40 plus years later, that we've we've had this direct detection of them on the Earth. Okay. So, there's been a lot of enormous progress in astronomy there. And there are lots more good books out there now you can read to learn more about this
4: Good. one of my roommates hey, but... one, hello one of my roommates are you there? yes they're no, yes. listening one of my roommates uh, stayed with me two nights a week with this other guy and uh he he was up at lawrence liver lawrence uh he was up at the radiation lab up yes. at berkeley yes. he transferred to the university of maryland he got a doctorate in astrogeophysics in about 1978 so all he right. really jumped into it didn't he because that's when all this stuff really yes. started breaking loose
1: yeah lucky guy good timing well thank you for your question we appreciate it yeah
0: and and uh go spartans i taught at the san jose state for <laughs> for about 10 years recently and uh yeah by the way uh Joe uh, Weber was uh, have to give a shout out to him he was the scientist who spent decades trying to find gravitational waves way back in about the time that you were a student uh, and he couldn't find them that we just didn't have good enough technology but he told great stories about it one evening in Washington, D.C. <laughs> they used to have an organization that met on Saturday nights called the National Capital Astronomers and he came and so regaled us with his failed attempts to detect gravitational waves.
1: Well, if you'd like to join us like uh, those folks did you can call in with your question for Martin Gaskell. He is our guest here on Planet Watch for the next little while. and the area code is 831. Once again, 831-479-1080. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman with Joe Jordan on the line from Boulder Creek, and we're interviewing Martin Gaskell. And um, I want to make sure we save time for an interesting story in your life. You um, and... This is public knowledge because I found it on the Internet. <laughs> as everything can be found no, now. Although
3: or, everyone reads on the Internet, is not necessarily true. That's
1: true. I have to tell my mass media students <laughs> that yes, all the time, yes, that yes. please yes. be very careful to double source. Mm-hmm. Um, but it appears that w- you were going to be hired by the university, or possibly going to be hired by mm-hmm. the University of Kentucky, and um, they didn't question your um, astronomy credentials, mm-hmm. which are obviously very strong. Um, they... We're worried that because of your religious views you might um, there might be a headline saying creationist hired by University of Kentucky And they um, and you sued them for this and you won or well you got a settlement out of this So what I want to ask you because this is a unique um, Opportunity to ask this question of an astronomer Mm -hmm. is Do you find any Conflict in the views of Christianity and the views of what you've learned as a scientist about the origins Of the universe in the time, in the yes. age of the universe.
3: Well, there uh, actually there are lots of, of astronomers and scientists um, 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 who are believers, and um, um, I, I was. Uh, uh, just recently, since we had this Nobel Prize for the detection of gravitational waves, I was just re- reading up on the biographies of the three men who received the Nobel Prize, and one, one of whom I knew about, for Kip Thorne, who was the advisor to the uh, Interstellar in movie, and the other two they they're physicists. I didn't know about them, but uh, but uh, but one thing I, I I found a quote on Kip Thorne's Wikipedia page, and and he he said. Um, Um, that many of his finest colleagues are very devout and believe in God and he he said he just did not see himself any conflict between between uh, their religious beliefs uh, and uh, the science. Now he he himself is not in that category but uh, as a non-believer he he said I I, I don't see a a conflict there. And um, um, so those of us who are uh, scientists and, and, and Christians, um, it's not really a, a big deal for us. It's not something that we worry about all, all the time. And the way I like to look at it is is through science, uh, in my, my case study of black holes and what's going on around them, uh, through science I am learning about how God does things. Uh, so that's the... Uh, Attitude and view that we have. There have been been quite a lot of surveys about uh, scientists and their beliefs. Uh, There's um, uh, a good book published a few years ago by Oxford University University Press on this. And um, whenever people survey scientists, they're often surprised how religious scientists are. In fact, atheists are a minority among scientists, and that often surprises people. why uh, do you think that is? Well, why does why it, it surprise people? I think it surprises no, 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 no.
1: Why are there so many scientists? Do you think that are uh, religious? Is there something about what they're uh, learning uh, through astronomy, for example, yes. that makes them even more confirming religion, their uh, beliefs, or do you think it's uh, some other? Well,
3: thing? well, uh, what I um, I haven't quite thought from that point of view, um, mm. but but. Uh, um, this the, the book by by uh, what's her name um, um, Elaine Ackland, um, uh, which is probably the best study about the beliefs of scientists. One thing that she d- does ask in there is she interviews a couple hundred scientists, including ones who are who are not believers, and she asks the the, the non-believers, "Okay, why are you a non-believer?" And um, the, the, the interesting thing about that that is the reasons they give are Essentially, the, the same reasons that that any other non-believer would give. There wasn't anything scientific to it. They had a, they had a, a bunch of, of reasons there, and science was almost last in their list. There, that wasn't if you ask one of these people you know, say why are you an, an agnostic or an atheist that then they, they would they wouldn't say it's because of science there. However, if you if you find the average man in the street, say the average atheist in the street, then then he or she might say. Uh, it's because of science, but but that's not the way scientists think about this.
1: I guess what I'm getting at is the empirical side of science says you have yes, to prove something right. exists and that yes. that you know you can use the scientific method to describe reality as we know it. Yes, and on the other side is this belief that there are things you can't see and that there's an intelligent being that is responsible for creation and all that we see around us. yes and and it seems like those two views have been in conflict for a long time.
3: Um, there has there certainly has has been been, been some conflict there. The, uh, the, uh, the, that is true, but but uh, I'm not say that, that that there has to be a conflict there. So so um, when uh, let's take something I do. Uh, uh, I, I'm a human being, a person. I, I'm doing I'm doing and causing something. Then th- there are mechanisms by which I do it. And you, you can describe those mechanisms. That's kind of what I'm trying to get at here. Um, so anything I do, and you know, I've got my handle on, on the table, for example, for right, right now. And, and uh, uh, maybe so I'm, imagine I'm making a point to listeners who can't see me. <laughs> something silly like that. But, but um, I, I'm, I'm doing something there. And everything's described by the laws of physics here with this table, I could tap the table, and make a sound, you probably won't hear the microphone here, but I could do that, all type of laws of physics, but it, it happens because I want to tap the table here. Uh, so uh, there's, there's, no, there's no conflict between the laws of acoustics of me banging the table and me wanting to tap the table there.
1: Mm-hmm. And you have a brain that makes a decision on some level that you want to do that. Right. And are right. you saying that on some level you think there's a brain... Um, Intelligent design, for example, is a view that there's some designer right. uh, out there doing the designing, and that's a fairly interesting right, that, thing. Right, and
3: about. Um, uh, most most people believe that they have a purpose and a reason, and it's rather rare. Somebody thinks they're just pointless as a result of random chance. So That's, that's rather rare human view. Some people have- I
0: actually have a, I have a story here to interject. Uh, Martin actually turned me on to a talk by a guy who I had met when I was working on the Flying Observatory at NASA, who's the co-inventor of the laser, a guy named Charlie Towns, eminent scientist and engineer, mm-hmm. And uh, he uh, uh, came and talked at a church in Santa Cruz. And I went there, and uh, he talked about intelligent design, which uh, you know, is kind of a term that a lot of people use for, like, not evolution. But his take was ingenious. He said his idea of intelligent design of the creation by a creator was that the way the creator does that intelligent design of the amazing creation is by evolution. Evolution is that intelligent design... <laughs> that kind of finesse both well, right, this that is a very
3: a very standard view um, and th- this is pr- uh, pretty much the standard view of most scientists who are Christians
1: mm-hmm. yes and then you get into people who read the Bible literally, absolutely literally, and they will argue that all of the uh, geology was put there to keep us occupied as humans. I have right. trouble.
3: Well, well the, the, that's with a, that s- view. that's personally. something that that, uh, that, that uh, most scientists or Christians would, 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 dis- would disagree with, and um, and that not only get. Not only do you get into scientific problems there, but you you get in, into theological problems as well, uh, with with that.
1: So why do you think there's this strain of fundamentalism that keeps going back to you know literal translations of what's said in a book that we don't even know how many people wrote? You know, it was written by several people over many many years apparently, and why should that be any more of a you know? Oh, now the phones are lighting up. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Gee, I thought maybe... Unfortunately,
3: we're running right out of time here, too. We, are, so, yeah, so, we sorry, so, 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 Rachel, let me if I, if I answer your question. I don't want answer the question, but at least address your question. Sure. Um, so, um, uh, how uh, how one interprets any document is a, is a good question and the, the bible is is no exception there um and um if if you have a, say an ultra literalism then you you get it into into problems there and um uh, and almost nobody did, uh, it takes the Bible ext- uh, uh, ultra literally because that, that's not the way the Bible in, in itself intended it, it, it to be taken. So, so there, there, there's, take an example. There's a verse where where Jesus says in the New Testament, he says, "I am the door." Okay, I am the door. Well, that a, a door. Is how you get into a room, how you get somewhere. But if you go really literally, well, I've made a bit. The door's got hinges on it. So does that mean there was hinges on the side of Jesus? Well, no, I don't think that that's what, that's what, that's what he meant.
1: But people selectively often take parts of it literally when it yeah. serves their worldview, and then we get into, well, where is it literal and where isn't literal? Yeah. And then you, you know, we. Yeah. I wish I was uh, as oh, confident as yeah. you that there were few people who were that literal. But we have a pretty anti-science movement in this country right now and some of the people who are part of denying things like climate change existed are going back to this idea that you know the earth is made in six or seven days and that we're all going to the rapture so what does it matter if we preserve this earth and that worries me yeah these
3: are these are uh, um, issues that uh, that that concern me because um but at a more g- general level, there's, there's an idea that somehow science is bad, and I think I think that those of us who are scientists and Christian have a role to play here and say, "Hey, it's okay to do science. No, science is not bad. It's 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 not it's, it not, not evil," um, and uh, the, there's a. A lot of misunderstanding that needs to be, needs to be cleared up there.
1: Lots of education, yeah. um, hopefully, um, that will be uh, introduced as we go through life and uh, continue yeah, and, and to uh, talk with, to with one with another with across the any issues,
3: there are two sides, people on, on two sides, and, and there needs to be understanding in both directions there. Well,
1: I'm glad you're open to talking about it, and I think it's a really important conversation to continue to have as people often get in their camps and won't. uh,
0: I have one one last note to say on this, uh, Rachel. Uh, The great scientist Einstein, who, I don't know if there are any Einstein doubters out there, but uh, he was a pretty smart dude. He had a couple of wonderful quotes, just one of which I'll tell our listeners today. We'll save the next one for another time. But he said, the mainspring of all scientific research is the sensation of the mystical. Oh, yes, and, so
3: many fine quotes, but I like that, yes. That's a good yeah, one,
1: yeah. that's a good one. Um, it would be a shame if scientists didn't feel a great sense of awe, even if they don't describe it in religious terms, but being um, amazed and the ability to be curious is something that humans are fairly unique about. We've been able to um, find out things no other species has found out. Whether we've done great things with it is, you know, up for debate in the... Our future and uh, people down the road will tell us whether it was all for the right, <laughs> for yeah. the good. But uh, figuring out this stuff is seems to be what hey, humans hey, want to do.
0: Hey, another thing I gotta say is, look, all those folks who wanted to call in and talk, I don't know if they told you, but you can email us between shows, or even right now. Uh, but the show's almost over. Mm-hmm. But email us at radioplanetwatch at gmail dot com. We'll make sure your comments and questions get relayed to Mark Martin Gaskell. And you know, we'll continue the discussion. Yes, and I uh, really want to
1: thank you, Martin, for being right. our guest. And for those callers who couldn't get in, thank you for calling. Try the email next time. Okay. try to get in earlier. Um, yes. thank you for being here. and oh, so how thank can,
3: you for inviting me. Yes. How can
1: people maybe hear you speak or find out more about you?
3: Ooh, well,
1: do you have a uh, website?
3: Uh, it's pretty boring <laughs> okay,
0: well. <laughs> well, Martin, Martin did a, Martin did a TED talk recently. Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, yes. TED
1: we posted that on uh, Facebook, I believe, the link to it. So uh, is is that TED Talk out yet? I don't think it,
0: it's but... online yet. No, uh, just a, just no. a description of it. Yeah. But uh, so my, that... I did a TED talk the same night, and that, that's not online yet either. Yes. <laughs> that, that TED so, talk,
3: so. it's about the. Black hole basics. So if you want to, one of the, the basics mm-hmm. about black holes, how we know they're there, what they do, how they eat, that kind of stuff, it's all in that in. How they all, eat. All in 18 <laughs> minutes in that TED talk. They yes. eat.
1: Okay. Yes. Now that's a that's whole how you see, That's
0: how you see them. Stuff goes screaming around it, falling yeah. <laughs> into them, and it lights up really big. Yes, yes. That's, you, yes, that's something
3: holes. that we we didn't get we didn't get into. Uh, how do we detect these black holes? And and uh, the, the, uh, if you were thrown into a black hole, uh, you'd end up being vaporized. And, pretty hot
1: and there don't, would be some colors maybe flashing um, as you v-
3: very bright colors yes d- d- don't try this at home
1: right right mm. i would uh, like uh, to be green if i were going to you know go up in a black hole and smoke i would like it to be neon uh, how about you joe what color are you at the last minute of our show here
0: uh you know, green is good. Uh, my favorite color is blue, but I'm, I'm really getting kind of partial to green, and they're fairly closely related anyway, you know. Well,
1: we have a blue-green so, uh, planet, and so Planet Watch effectively is right. That's our, our <laughs> show colors. And we invite you to tune in next week. We will be actually continuing a thread of this conversation next week with a woman named Sharon Delgado. She has a brand-new book um, called Love in the Time of Climate change i believe and yeah and
0: she's a pastor she's actually a christian pastor or has been for years and years and so uh that'll be an interesting wide-ranging discussion as
1: well (laughs) and it'll have similar themes of why how can we understand what's happening with the world through different lenses both Mm -hmm. science and religion that might actually help us get out of the predicament we're in so um i want to thank martin and uh, joe thanks for joining us from boulder creek um we'll see you in person next week as we talk to sharon Delgado.
0: Enjoy the beautiful day, and keep an eye on the sky. <laughs> all right, right,
1: will do. This has been Planet Watch. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman. That was Joe Jordan. We appreciate you tuning in. If you'd like more information, you can find us on Facebook. Go to Planet Watch Radio and look for our page and like us on Facebook. You can get all the previews of future shows when you go to our site there. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll be back again next week right here on Planet Watch. <music>